0: Welcome back to EAF 463. This week, we're talking about undocumented students, um, both in the U.S. uh, and within education. And as such, we're reading a chapter uh, entitled College Goers, Managing the Distance Between Aspirations and Realities from uh, a 2016 monograph by Gonzalez. A research article entitled It's Like We Are Legally Illegal, Latino... uh, Youth Emphasized Barriers to Higher Education Using Photo Voice by Sahe et al. from 2016. And then a 2011 article from The Atlantic called My Life as an Undocumented Immigrant by Jose Antonio Vargas. Uh, additionally, uh, some of the supplementary readings are uh, Vargas's 2018 memoir, Dear America Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. And then uh, the full book by Gonzalez, uh, which is entitled Lives in Limbo, Undocumented and Coming of Age in America. I'm excited to share this conversation with you all. Welcome back. First off, we're going to cover the chapter from Lives in Limbo, Chapter 7, College Goers, Managing the Distance Between Aspirations and Reality. To give a little bit of context of the entire uh, book-length monograph, it's a book-length ethnographic account of undocumented youth that follows them uh, for several years. This qualitative research method is meant to elicit stories and a, a more comprehensive uh, full understandings of people's experiences. Um, and as such, this uh, book specifically was attempting to understand um, through the stories of young people, the experiences of young Latino and Latina individuals who grew up in Los Angeles. This work uh, followed young people over the course of 12 years um, and really examined, in part, their experiences of being undocumented Individuals in their educational system um, for context, one of the things that um, is important to rec- to understand is the Supreme Court. Case Plyler versus Doe, uh, which was decided in 1982, uh, it was a case in which the Supreme Court struck down a state statute denying funding for education to undocumented children in the U.S. Um, and a multi and a municipal school's attempt to charge an annual $1,000 tuition fee for each student to compensate for lost state funding. The court found that any state restriction imposed on the rights afforded to children based on the immigration status must be examined under a rational basis standard to determine whether it furthers a substantial government interest. Um, as such, uh, this case was also decided along with uh, Texas v. A certain Named and Unnamed Alien Child. Um, and so the court reasoned that um, undocumented immigrants and their children, while not being citizens of the United States or in Texas in the case of the um, Texas versus Certain Named and Unnamed Alien Child, Uh, are people uh, in any ordinary sense of the term that's a quote from the decision and therefore are afforded 14th Amendment protections since the state law severely disadvantaged the children of undocumented immigrants by denying them the right to an education and because Texas could not prove that the regulation was needed to serve a compelling state interest, that's a quote, the court struck down the law. Um, And so this uh, book... uh, Illustrates how undocumented youth are "quote tracked," as the, ma- at the majority of public school students are, so that a small percentage considered to have college potential are called into advanced placement and honors classes and the majority are shunted to lower tracks where they receive little to no individualized or attention Um, and that's uh, a quote from the introduction from this uh, book length monograph which you don't have so we're going to be talking specifically about chapter 7 which follows uh, the students who are going to college from his ethnographic study and while this entire book is of interest um and we cannot cleave apart the K-12 versus higher ed as one does in um, in packed one another. Uh, for the case for the instance of this conversation and this class, we're coming specifically uh, this chapter about the students who go to college. The chapter opens uh, with a little, uh, a little bit of talking about a protest at the University of California at Los Angeles uh, made up with poster boards, markers, crayons, scissors, and wooden dowels strewn across the floor. Lani, a small woman wearing a rib tank top, skinny jeans, and flip flops calls out, hey, Esperanza, can you go to Teja next week to a high school in Long Beach? There's a group of moms who have organized a meeting with the principal and some of the counselors, and they want to present us go it." they want us to present on going to college. Um, And so this opens with this sort of slight uh, narrative to illustrate the experiences of uh, at least these uh, two young people. Um, The markers in blue and yellow marker, the color of, Um, UCLA. She traces the word. Shame on you, UC Regents. You're squeezing us out, Esperanza responds. Sure. What day is it? I've got more time now since I lost my job. I might need a ride, though. Someone ran into my car last week, and I don't have any money to get it fixed. So this narrative to me is is very normal. Um, There's nothing exceptional about it, and I don't mean that necessarily as a bad way, uh, but what I mean is that um, this is something that is a, a very normal conversation, um, and part of um, um, ethnographic research uh, really shows the day-to-day minutiae of uh, the the lives of people as part of the ethnography. And so this sounds like a conversation that could have happened with some of my students uh, when I was working at <laughs> the other USC, uh, as this one uh, you know, on one forty nine says Esperanza is hunched over a poster board in a hooded USC sweatshirt. Pretty sure that probably means Southern Cal and not South Carolina. Uh, we like to call them our West Coast campus. Um, but, you know, this uh, talks about how Esperanza feels isolated at her school at the University of California, not being able to connect with anyone who wants to devote time and resources to making the issues she cared about a priority. Uh, so this uh, chapter really turns uh f- oh, from the stories of early exiters those who exit um educational institutions from previous chapters who along from other undocumented immigrants confront experiences of illegality in the workplace to those of college goers and their experiences of navigating the world of post-secondary education um, and so, as we are all training um, and learning how to be um, student affairs administrators and and advocates for students, um, this is important for us to understand um, the experiences of undocumented students um, and their experiences in college. Uh, this is an area that uh, prior to coming to illinois um, i was I did not know a lot about. Um, and the reasoning why is that the state of South Carolina um, is one of, uh, I think, three or four states in which you have to prove citizenship in order to attend an institution of higher education. And so while there may certainly have been undocumented students in Columbia, uh, where USC is, and I, and I engage with some of them um, uh, within my community work, Um, In terms of my work as a student affairs practitioner, I rarely engaged um, or saw undocumented students because they were not able to be enrolled at the institution. Um, And so uh, Illinois and California are two of the states, I think Texas, if I remember correctly, um, are some of the most um, welcoming states for undocumented students. And so if you are looking, uh, while you should have the information and knowledge on how to support Um, and help undocumented students regardless of where you are, knowing that if you're in one of the states where the majority of our undocumented students are attending college, um, you should have uh, additional and more knowledge than if you were in another state. Um, There are many uh, resources online to help undocumented students navigate uh, the experiences of going to college. Uh, And they often will highlight the undocumented friendly states of which Illinois is one of them. I think um, there's a lot going on in terms of uh, supporting undocumented students um, and uh, the notion of uh, being undocumented in general. Uh, The last four years were a nightmare for a lot of people. Um, uh, One of the groups in particular uh, that was most hard on was undocumented students. young people um and dreamers um there's still um not great things going on in terms of family separations um uh, of undocumented people at the borders um and so that's something to be concerned about uh and angry about uh particularly as Biden the new president promised that there would be a moratorium on all deportations in his first hundred years, which he has rescinded on, um, and has uh, started deporting people. Um, and so this is something to pay attention to, um, for sure. This chapter lays out a really, uh, both the, um, joys of attending college, um, the influence that structures have, the university structures have on a student's sense of belonging, um, the the challenges of not go of going to college and so while you know we know from our work last semester uh through Schlossberg's transition that transition to college or transition to anything is always a struggle um but becoming an undocumented or being an undocumented student also exacerbates that because for some um it is not an identity they want to share and so it, much like some other identities, other invisible identities, um, it becomes something, uh, a point of shame for some people that they don't want to share it, or it becomes a point of fear and they don't want to share it. Um, and so those are different, some different manifestations of experiences for undocumented individuals. Uh and the inability uh, to craft and create relationships. So We know that uh, relationships are uh, vital uh, to student success um, and uh, due to the lack of being able to have these relationships or, for instance, uh, a student organization for undocumented students uh, has leads to isolation and loneliness for individuals. Uh, moreover, some of these students... Uh, don't have much trust in the university's administrative bureaucracy. Um, and this is coming from page 155 of the chapter. Uh, for instance, Esperanza didn't connect with the much-needed help she may have needed because of she didn't trust the university's uh, leadership structure. Um, and so this uh, really hampers student experiences and their um, ability to do their work. Further, um, Esperanza... Uh, one of the things that she did is she uh, tried to cut corners by trying to get her books for free, uh, but this put her two weeks behind in her course. Which, as you all might know from experience or uh, you know just knowledge, uh, that this is going to put you behind. Um, it's going to be hard to catch up. Um, and so, you know, as the author um, shares that even the brightest and most studious of college goers felt the ubiquitous constraints of legality and it's coming from 155 transportation constraints also uh played a role uh and that starts out just by at the very beginning when esperanza um is talking with Lonnie and talking about going to a high school next week to be present to presenting uh but her car uh someone ran into her car and she didn't have any money to get it fixed uh prior to um uh, prior to somewhat recently, um, undocumented immigrants in California cannot purchase a car, buy insurance or legally drive and so this had real consequences for areas without reliable public transportation so thinking about what it looks like to you know be someone without a car and bloomington normal um, and while it 's possible and, and some people do it, um, you know we as a sort of suburban uh, or ex-urban uh, space, we don't have public transportation that you might have in more uh, urban areas like New York or uh, Chicago. Uh, I've I've never actually been to LA, so I can't speak to their public transportation, but I, I don't know what it looks like and how... Um, how reliable that is for instance grace shared that she lived only seven miles from college but this trip took her three buses and took an hour and a half each way imagining how much time is lost because uh, undocumented individuals uh, either could not purchase a car legally driver by insurance or did not have the um, finances to do so and so uh, this piece really talks about the various different ways that um, undocumented um, immigrants are pulled in uh, many different ways. Uh, For instance, uh, one of the uh, participants shared that it feels like I can't do anything 100%. They felt an obligation, this person Scarlett felt an obligation to give 50% of her monthly check to her mother sees it just as another bill Um, and so these different ways that individuals feel uh, conflicted of being able to be students and having to take care of other things and not being able to be You know, a college student, the way that many people have experienced it um, who are not undocumented uh, immigrants. And so it covers some of the administrative barriers uh, and not belonging um, and ends uh, with thinking through how we as administrators and educators uh, can really help to understand that the transition to college for. Uh, students is an important one um, and how we can remove some of the barriers um, and the hardships to this transition um, so that uh, undocumented immigrants undocumented students can have um, less barriers to access uh, and success within institutions uh, of education so this uh Chapter presents a mixed story—one of success and triumph, but is yet mired in the reality of their immigration status. Um, understanding that illegality is a master status for these undocumented students, it's something that um, is always ever present for them. Uh, while this uh, chapter uh, from um, the f- from "Lives in Limbo: Undocumented and Coming and Changes of America" largely focuses on Um, undocumented immigrants uh, who are Latinx, uh, recognizing that these identities are not mutually exclusive um, and that not every undocumented student is Latinx and not every Latinx person is undocumented. while a, a large majority of undocumented individuals are from Central and South America, there's a large amount of undocumented individuals from European nations, from African nations, from, um, and from Asian um, nations as well. And so we always, as ever, have to be cautious to not paint with a broad brush when we're attempting to understand the experiences of anyone, students or not, um, but understanding that Um, While this chapter really speaks to uh, undocumented students as Latinx individuals, um, that is not 100% the case where everyone that is undocumented is um, uh, Latinx. Next up, we have a piece from the fall of 2016 from the High School Journal entitled, It's Like We Are Legally Illegal, Latino uh, youth Emphasize Barriers to Higher Education Using PhotoVoice by Sahe, Thatcher, Nunez, and Lightfoot. Uh, this piece uses community-based participatory research to understand how being an undocumented Latino-Latina affect their aspirations for higher education. Um, it shares a perspective from a 19-year-old uh, student who is a young man, a DACA recipient, and co-author who says, I have done all that I can, the education, the tests, the readings, the essays, the extra credit, the headaches, the stress. I've done it all. I've done it all, and I still can't get what I want, all because I'm not a citizen. Um, and so this piece illustrates and uh, speaks about how uh, these individuals um, You know, this um, the authors and many of these students are trying to understand how uh, they can achieve access to higher education. Uh, It talks about how 26 percent of non U.S. born uh, Hispanics versus 56 percent of U.S. born Hispanic youth enroll in college. Um, And so it argues and talks a little bit about the barriers to college enrollment. It speaks again about Plyler versus Doe, the Supreme Court decision that guarantees undocumented students the right to public K-12 education in the U.S., but stops short of um, giving a right to higher education. As such, DACA. Uh, arose as a compromise from the failure of Congress to pass the DREAM Act, uh, or the Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors. The DREAM Act would have granted conditional residency and potential for citizenship to youth who were brought here by their immigrant parents. and so uh daca and dream um often get conflated but they are separate and different we can have more about that in class um and so you should be familiar with both these they're still trying to pass uh, a version of the dream act as of me recording uh who knows what will happen um So the audience for uh, this piece was really for educators in North Carolina to understand how the experiences of undocumented students um, and how educators uh, can be better advocates to help uh, individuals. According to the immigration reform activists in their book, The Right to Dream, DACA complicates life for youth in at least four fundamental ways. First, it's not a law. It's a presidential executive action. Thus, DACA applicants have no court to appeal to for rejected cases. The action is temporary with a requirement of renewal every two years, creating deportation relief in a two-year review cycles. Moreover, it costs money every two years uh, as a way to um, learn more about uh, the experiences of uh, undocumented um, or documented uh, people in the U.S., um, I subscribe uh, to a DACA-related subreddit uh, where individuals share their experiences um, and challenges in renewal of their uh, uh, status every so often Um, and it's just been a resource for me to learn about some of the resources that are out there to help uh, um, students with DACA um, and other undocumented students as well And, and also knowing that you know a student with DACA and someone who's undocumented are not one of the same. Uh, you can be undocumented without having DACA, and you can, um, and and you are, you know, not ever. So yes, but to have DACA, you would be undocumented, obviously. Um, the third uh, challenge is that there's no path uh, to citizenship or lawful residency. Um, and so it's just this um, liminal space where they are, Not undocumented because they have a status, but they don't have a path forward uh, to becoming uh, full citizens. And fourth, the status carries distrust among youth that their families could be deported if they apply as they are outing themselves as undocumented immigrants. Um, This uh, uh, book, this chapter was published in... um, 2016 in the fall of 2016 and so uh this data these data were collected prior uh to the election of 45 um and i know through you know my aforementioned um research uh and listening to the stories of folks with daca uh that this was probably this fear was probably exacerbated uh during a very anti-immigrant um sentiment laden uh Presidential administration. So, 18 states uh, currently have provisions that allow for in-state tuition rates for undocumented students. Um, six states uh, currently allow undocumented students to receive state financial aid. Three states specifically prohibit in-state tuition rates for undocumented students, and two states prohibit undocumented students from enrolling at any public institution. Um, And one of those states, as I sort of alluded to earlier, was South Carolina, the other being Alabama. um, And this is why I I did not have a lot of knowledge the The states that uh, allow for in-state tuition for undocumented students are California, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Kansas, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Texas, Utah, and Washington. Um, and the states where undocumented students can receive financial aid are California, Minnesota, New Mexico, Oregon, Texas, and Washington. Um, and so this piece specifically focuses their discussion on North Carolina because it is receiving, uh, it is a receiving state, uh, meaning that there is a new influx of recent Latino Latina immigrants. Um, this resonates with, uh, also, uh, with South Carolina, uh, despite, uh, there not being, uh, a pathway for those immigrants to attend college, there's still a lot of, uh, latinx immigrants down there uh for instance uh the work of dr dr timothy monreal uh explores what um what they call the new latinx south um and explores teacher uh, latinx teachers um in uh, the southeast, particularly in South and North Carolina, um, and how they are path- paving a new way forward uh, to understand what it means to be Latinx in the southeast, um, and how they can uh, work uh, to better support their own um, teacherly community and their students as well. Uh, this uh, this piece used a constructivist approach to present problems associated with talk- DACA. It means that they. T- that together the participants and academic research team co-created their understandings of the problem posed by the research questions. Um, they aimed, using voice, they aimed to shift power relations between participant and researcher uh, to engage in a co-learning process. Um, so these individuals were community partners and, um, and academic researchers, um, and really stri- tried to look at what the experiences of undocumented youth in the state of North Carolina look like when it came to higher education. Largely, they found that they, uh, these individuals felt that they were locked out of education, uh, that they were legally illegal. A quote from one of the participants is, I'm not undocumented anymore, but I'm also not a citizen or a resident. So what do I put on those lines? And most of the time, I just either leave it blank or 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 just something like that. The both, the liminality of being both not a citizen, not an immigrant, not fully undocumented alters their experiences to the point of affecting their identity. Um, And so this is something to consider when we think about, like, what does it mean to be undocumented? Um, There are a lot of uh, feelings of tension uh, within uh, and beyond the uh, community of undocumented people. Um, And so this is a... um, a really interesting piece. It covers some of the opportunities and challenges of DACA. Um, DACA, while it protects its recipients from deportation and enables them to get a driver's license in most cases and social security number with limited to work purposes, these uh, privileges are not afforded to other undocumented residents. Um, And so DACA... Uh, allows individuals to work but does not necessarily uh, allow them uh, to go to school in the same way um, that other youth uh, are able to go to school. Um, and so getting DACA status also is something that one has to apply for every two years and so it can be lost um, and then what happens then? Uh, moreover, it can be denied. And what happens then? Um, and so there's a tension between those who get it and those who don't and those who might not be renewed. Uh, applying for DACA is a, a, a very arduous process where you have to uh, prove residency uh, for an ongoing period of time and, and uh, have all of this paperwork and, and documents. And so um, it, it's uh, very difficult uh DACA students often face systematic exclusion, and this is uh, painful for them, um, and that many um, college recruiters and their teachers and other students are not even aware that DACA exists or its implications. Uh, one of the participants described an awkward situation with an admission recruiter. Uh, they say, they have like representatives of the individual schools and that's who used to call me and ask me would you like to get an appointment or get a tour of the campus and all of that and we have a really great athletic department and i was like i thank you but i'm not interested i'm not going to university and all that they were always asking why and all this just to not explain it further i would say we're and just we're the kind of tired of people not knowing about it and i would just say i'm, I'm just i'm working at the moment And so, um, this piece talks about the labyrinth of liminality, um, that, uh, these, uh, youth face as undocumented individuals, uh, within, um, the, uh, within their instance. It, It does a good job of using narratives of individuals, uh, coincided with images from the individuals. And so, um... This piece is uh, both a wonderful piece to understand the experiences of uh, students with DACA in the state of North Carolina, but also a way to understand um, how images um, can be utilized and understood to strengthen um, the narratives of individuals. And so I'm thinking about, you know, image one from Valentina uh, who drew an image uh, that was entitled locked out of higher education uh, really illustrates how um, Valentina felt that she was locked out of opportunities um, and wasn't uh, and she was padlocked behind a fence uh, or rather a gate with a fence that says no illegals. Um, and so these images show um, the experiences alongside with the narratives. And I think this is a really wonderful and powerful piece, and I'm excited to share it with you all. Finally, we have a piece by Jose Antonio Vargas from published in the New York Times Magazine in June 22nd of 2011. Um, this piece is um, a powerful letter uh, in some regards who speaks to his experience of being an undocumented um, Immigrant in the u.s. Um, he often calls himself uh, America's most famous uh, undocumented immigrant. Um He grew up in the philippines um, And so this speaks to how not everyone who is undocumented is from uh, south or central america uh, But that he was brought here uh, by a man who that was told was his uncle he held his hand as he boarded the plane for the first time it was 1993 and he was 12 and so he was brought here um as a 12 year old um because his mother wanted him to have a better life so she sent him thousands of miles away to live with her parents in america he lived with his lola and lolo um in mountain view california in the san francisco bay area um, and Entered sixth grade and quickly grew to love his new home, family, and culture. Um, And so this speaks to um, his experiences as an undocumented immigrant in the U.S. um, And some of the interesting facts is like he didn't realize uh, that he was undocumented, right? Um, And so he talks about when he was 16, he rode his bike to the nearby DMV uh, to get his driver's permit. And he handed his clerk a green card as proof of residency, and she examined it and says, "This is fake," and whispered don't come back again so this like to me as a form of alternative resistance, uh, this uh, individual um, she knew that this was fake and that uh, perhaps uh, Vargas was undocumented, but instead of you know taking his fake green card and alerting people. She gave it back um, and let him and, – and told him not to come back as a way to sort of resisting um, probably what she was informed she had to do. Um, and so she uh, – Vargas was scared and concerned and, and didn't know that he was, an undoc- he was undocumented. He assumed that his green card was uh, real. Um, his grandparents were naturalized citizens um and assumed that he was as well and so he talks about um that he he convinced himself that if he worked enough if he had achieved enough that he would be rewarded with citizenship he felt like he could earn it um but he goes on to share about how being undocumented means rarely trusting people with who he really is um and so that it Means that for him, it sort of it's similar to relying on a sort of 21st century underground railroad of supporters, and he talks about uh, some of the supporters through his time and his uh, years that have helped him with this. Um, his book, uh, which is one of the supplementary texts for this week, uh, "Dear America: Notes of an Undocumented Citizen," which came out seven years later uh, in twenty eighteen, speaks back to this earlier New York Times Magazine article, um, and really uh, it talks about his even anxiety of writing this article. And so he was uh, an up and coming journalist, um, and he was uh, worked his way to become a well known journalist. Um, And then many people, even that he was working with, had no idea that he was undocumented. Uh, And this piece uh, really um, is his coming out narrative in some regards. Uh, The book also talks a little bit about that because he's an undocumented gay man. And so he talks about sort of like his multiple coming outs. Um, there was the um, you know, the reality of him being both undocumented and coming out as undocumented, but also um, him being gay and coming out as gay and so he has sort of uh, been coming out tw- has had to be experienced coming out twice in two different ways. Um, He also talks about the Obama administration, right, Um, and that they deported almost 800,000 people um, in the last two years uh, that this was um, written. And so while there's a lot of concern about the way that Trump treated uh, undocumented people, Immigrants, uh, People are seen as uh, non-American, however they define that. Um, for a lot of immigration activists, they still called Obama the deporter-in-chief uh, because under the Obama administration, they did deport a lot of people. And so um, I want to be cautious and careful here that we're not just assuming that only uh, right-leaning politicians um, hold anti-immigrants um sentiments that this comes across um many different ways um and that it comes from both sides of the aisle um and there isn't a really great advocacy for undocumented and immigrant individuals um because they don't have a lot of political power they don't have the right to vote and so it's really hard uh to advocate uh and convince politicians to listen to you when they know that um As an undocumented person, you don't have any ability to vote them out or to not vote for them. And so this is one of those instances where uh, being an ally uh, with a community and uh, using your power as a voting holding individual uh, is important. Um, And so this talks about uh, a lot of different ways uh, that he has had to come out. Uh, For instance, uh, a teacher uh, asked him why he didn't want to take their go on the choir trip to Japan. He said, I just don't have the right passport. And when she assumed that we'd get him the proper documents, he finally said, I can't get the right passport. I'm not supposed to be here. So here's another instance of um, a good advocate, uh, a good educational advocate. The teacher changed the trip from Japan to go to Hawaii. Um because she knew that because hawaii was obviously a u.s state that uh, vargas would be able to go with his friends um, and so while this is not an instance of fixing the systemic problems that are facing vargas it's a slight little change that she wasn't able to to enact that allowed him to still be included uh, with his uh, colleagues and friends who you know could have gone to japan and likely would have wanted to go to Japan, uh, but instead uh, they switched it to go to Hawaii so that he could be um, included. Uh, Vargas talks about coming out as gay after he saw a documentary about uh, politician uh, and activist, Harvey Milk. Um, he was kicked out of his house. Um, this uh, also made immigration harder for him. Uh, for many immigrants, the idea is a pathway to citizen might be marrying an American woman. Um, but for someone who is gay, that wasn't an option for him if he wanted to live his authentic life um, to and to not lie into marrying someone uh, for that purpose. And and this has maybe changed now that uh, marriage equality has passed, but as a child, that wasn't a reality. Um, and so finally, he was able, using a network of friends, using a uh, a fake address uh to get a driver's license in the state of oregon which had a more um low bar to getting that um and so there was all sorts of um tensions in the way that he was doing things and such like paying state and federal taxes but he was using an invalid secure security number uh writing false information on his employment forms Um, and so His license, which was issued in 2003, was set to expire eight years later on his 30th birthday on February 3rd, 2011. So if you look as you're uh, reading this, this article was published June 22nd, 2011. So in the book, he really talks about um, him trying to figure out what he was going to do on his 30th birthday, how he was going to uh figure this out and so he knew that in 20 2003 he had eight years to succeed professionally and to hope that some sort of immigration reform would pass in the meantime and allow him to stay um as such he tried to steer clear of reporting on immigration policy but he couldn't always avoid it i think about the work of critical race theorist uh richard delgado who published a piece called the imperial scholar uh, who talks about doing very much the same thing um as a uh civil rights uh lawyer uh, turned academic he talks in that piece how um, his senior colleagues when he got a tenure track uh, law position uh, informed him to stay away from race related scholarship um, because it would sort of tokenize him into being the black scholar talking about black issues and so for a lot of individuals uh, from uh, underrepresented groups uh, individuals who from majoritarian majority groups will often well meaningly um, but still offensively and um, erroneously perhaps tell individuals to stay away from their passion areas because they feel that it might put a target on their back. And so, this is uh, that is some of the work that uh, Delgado talks about in his piece, The Imperial Scholar. And and so, when I was reading this uh, magazine article, that stood out um, and and felt uh, similar uh, to me. And so uh, I I find this piece absolutely beautiful. Uh, While I wouldn't call it a photo voice piece, I think it uses photography uh, very well, uh, stitched within his own autoethnographic narrative. And so this is kind of, in some regards, a popular way. And what I mean by popular is, you know, um, popular press, not, you know, like, oh, you're the the cool kid. Uh, You're the popular kid in high school. Um, But that this is um, a popular way to understand how... um, images and narratives can be intertwined uh to share a story um and so this piece as when i first read this piece um and when i read his book uh when it first came out in 2018 um i, I highly recommend the book um it is uh, a, a very accessible read i read it you know in a day it's like about 150 pages, but it's um, not dense. It's it's a it's a wonderful read that inspired both tears and laughter, um, and it is uh, beautiful uh, and eloquent and and heartbreaking and funny. Um, and if you like his reading, um, I, I highly recommend it. Um, he he closes his piece by talking about how it's been 18 years since he's seen his mother. I'm sitting here in. You know, February of two thousand and twenty-one. Thinking how hard it is that it's been since December of twenty nineteen, since I've seen my mom. Um, and you know, in twenty eleven, we didn't have FaceTime in the way that we do now, and so it sets into perspective my reality. And and you know, I'm not undocumented, and I'm not trying to make comparisons, um, but thinking about how much I miss my mom. And I do. I miss her a lot. Um, but to go 18 years without seeing your mother because you're undocumented and can't go back to the nation where your mother lives um, is hard. And so he shares early on he was mad at her for putting him in this position. And then he was mad at himself for being angry and ungrateful. By the time he went to college, they rarely spoke on the phone. It became too painful. Um, his sister, who was two when he left, is, at the time of this, was 20. She's has to be close to 30 now. Uh, he's never met his 14-now-24-year-old brother. He'd love to see them, but he can't. Not so long ago, he called his mom, wanting to fill in the gaps in the memory about that August morning so many, many years ago. We'd never discussed it. Part of me wanted to shove the memory aside. But to write this article and face the facts of my life, I needed more the details. Did I cry? Did she? Did we oh my god did we kiss goodbye sorry like rereading that is making me tear up as a a parent um my my mother told him that he was excited about meeting a stewardess about getting on a plane she also reminded me of the one piece of advice she gave me for blending in if anyone asked why i was coming to america i should say i was going to disneyland jose antonio vargas is a um beautiful writer um and um, a, a staunch advocate um, and great uh, speaker and activist for undocumented um, immigrants in the U.S. Um, highly recommend um, learning more about him and his work uh, with Define American. Um, I'm excited to share with you all these pieces, uh, something that I am Uh, really passionate about um, and think a lot about um, because it's something that I'm still learning a whole lot about having been in the state of South Carolina for so long uh, and now being in one of the three states uh, that um, is most uh, undocumented friendly Um, so thank you all for your time your energy um, and I look forward to seeing you in class on Monday have a great night